Welcome to another session of Have a Nice Idea, the podcast about where good ideas come from, as told by the people making a living having those good ideas. I'm Andy Askren, and this particular session marks a little pivot of sorts for our podcast. Moving forward, you're going to see us cast a little wider creative net, talking not just to creatives in advertising or design, but to a more diverse set of people who sit at that intersection of creativity and culture. In this podcast, we spoke with Donna Lamar, freshly minted group creative director at Vice Media, formerly with TBWA Shiat Day LA, Wyden and Kennedy, an amusement park, among many others, and also David Walker, with an interesting background as a writer for DC Comics and curator of Portland Black Film Festival. We spoke with them about their creative journeys, about the self-imposed limitations we all kind of have, and how matters of diversity, equity, and inclusion have shaped their perspectives on where they are today. It's really good stuff. So let's sit back and open our ears. Well, uh, thank you, everybody uh, in, in the audience, and most especially to my two esteemed guests up here uh, for coming to another uh, Design Week Portland uh, 2018 and another live recording of Have a Nice Idea podcast. You know, this is the podcast where we're all about finding out where good ideas come from, what makes a good idea, as told by the people who are doing those good ideas. So that's the, the purpose of, of this thing. Uh, I know that some of you may be seeing this or listening to this for, the, for your very first time, but if you've heard other ones, this is a slightly new format. We uh, usually talk to people one-on-one, uh, decided that it might be interesting to talk to more than just one person at a time. You uh, folks here in the audience or watching uh, online at home see that we are talking to two people. Not one, but two. We've, so uh, we've, uh, what is that, 100% doubled our, uh, our guest speaking, guest participation. And uh, so we're going to hit you with a lot of information here in the hour, hopefully. Uh, the other new part is that we're broadening our scope just a little bit. And, um, you know, good ideas, or as we like to call them, nice ideas. See what we did there? Uh, nice ideas obviously don't just live in advertising or design. And that's, that's where a lot of our talks have been aimed, specifically. Um, but even in those industries like advertising and design, the good ideas come from, uh, usually come from outside that space. So we thought it might make sense to let's talk to people outside the uh, you know, specific advertising space um, and talk to people who are where creativity is colliding with culture. Um, broad, so broadening the scope up that way um, I thought might make for interesting stories. Would there be any agreement on that? Uh, live audience? <laughs> there it is. <laughs> the live audience. Awesome. So I want to do a couple quick intros here. My goal is to not shorthand any of the bios that are up here. It's just that uh, it feels like we could do an hour on each of you, <laughs> and maybe we will someday. But for this hour of uh, Design Week, I thought it might be good to you know, dive into as much content as we could. So um, I wanted to introduce our, our two guests more formally here, if I could. To my right, we are talking to Donna Lamar, who is... There's Donna. Hey. Hi. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and Donna's currently, I think you just took on a new role as GCD at Vice Media. Is that correct? That is correct. Wow. Yeah, okay. Yeah. What do you, what's involved with being GCD at Vice Media? <laughs> That's such a good question. <laughs> um, well, so far it involves like 
a meeting every hour on the hour of the day. (laughs) (laughs) But what it's meant to involve is um, I basically have sort of creative oversight of Vice Media across all of the verticals that they have. Uh, building and, and when I say well that's not quite true it's not all of the verticals all the art and culture verticals because I have a partner and he does the knowledge verticals oh, yeah, and yeah. so like anything that touches entertainment fashion dance art anything that's cultural happening right now in the moment that's me um, and then I have a, a department that I'm trying to build so anybody listening to this podcast <laughs> Hello, I need really young, creative people who want to be hybrids. Cool, yeah. Um, well, what about middle-aged creatives <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that know more than young people? <laughs> Those two? Yeah, Donna. <laughs> no, okay. Perspective, it's all good. Cool, wow. Uh, I think that's so cool because, uh, you know, Vice is fascinating in a lot of ways, mostly because, like, it, it has just exploded. It seems to have just exploded and inserted itself into media culture really quickly. It um, did. And right. it, it feels that way inside, too. Really? You know, like, I think they were, um, it was a magazine, and and there's, like, these cool documentaries that happened, and it was, like, um, really good reporting because Vice actually gets to, you know, people use the word authenticity a lot, or authentic or authenticity a lot. At least we do in our industry, right? That's what we do. Um, but I have to say that I, I've started drinking the Kool-Aid, and I honestly believe that um, because the stories are told by the people who live those stories, they are authentic stories. So it's, it's, it's really cool. That's I, cool. I'm very excited. Yeah, that's super cool. And, that's on, and this is you know, on top of 15-plus years of working at several uh, pretty A-list uh, agencies and widening Kennedy Amsterdam or... TBWA Shiat Day, Amusement Park, just to name a couple. <laughs> just to name drop a little. Um, and on great brands, Gatorade, uh, Coke, Nike. Yeah, all of, yeah. Uh, all of, all of, everything <laughs> out there may have been touched by Donna. So. Pretty cool. Uh, and I'd also like to introduce uh, Mr. Uh, David F. Walker. There he is. And David, I, I almost don't know where to begin with you. Uh, talk about you know stacked resumes, like I said earlier. Um, award-winning journalist, writer, uh, illustrator too. For, no, 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 writer for DC Comics, Marvel Comics, uh, professor at Portland State University or instructor, uh, and. Uh, Director of the Portland Black Film Festival. Just a few things. David, I guess maybe my first question is, what, what's it like to not sleep? <laughs> when I was younger, it was great. Now it's, um, now my doctor and my therapist keep telling me, you need to sleep. You're going to be dead soon if you don't. So, uh, well, we're glad to have you here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm alive, I'm alive right now. Uh, you know, it's... it's uh, I still think sleep is overrated, but uh, but it's but it's also necessary, like exercise, which I don't do that much either. So, uh, but yeah, no, it's just um, I, I like to keep busy. I, I my mind starts racing if I if I'm idle too long. So, well, good, okay. Well, I, I like people with racing minds because they <laughs> hopefully have a lot to say, and and ideally that's you know what we want to have here is just conversation with with lots of wisdom and things to leave behind for, for everybody who's listening out there. 
Uh, but thank you both for being here. I know it's not every day you get to sit in front of 60 or so of your not yet closest friends uh, <laughs> and have a casual conversation, but um, um, I'm really glad you're here. So I think to kick it off, I thought what would be cool is if I asked you guys, um, <laughs> I made, uh, here's a leading question. If you could look back to a younger self, like, I don't know, just, either just out of school or maybe um, even younger than that, um, when you were little, and then cut to today, the, the you today, would your younger self had ever imagined this kind of journey that you've been on? And uh, what, if you could describe that, you know, like where, how did you come into being today? Uh. <laughs> the origin story? I was, I was like, you go first. Okay. <laughs> um, well, you know, it's interesting. I think if I, if I could talk to my younger self, uh, I, my younger self would not be surprised at where I'm at right now. He would definitely be surprised at the journey that got him here. But where I'm at now is exactly where I wanted to be when I was like five years old. Like, like I mean, literally, when I was five years old, I started writing my first, I'm not making this up, I started writing my first Planet of the Apes comic book. And I am now writing Planet of the Apes comic books for Boom Studios. I, when I was seven, awesome. I... Thank you. Um, when, I was, when I was about six or seven, I discovered the Marvel comic, uh, Luke Cage, Hero for Hire. I, someday I want to write and draw this book. Uh, so the one thing I'm not doing is I'm not drawing, but, but um, I, I'm exactly where I wanted to be as a kid, even in high school when, you know, I was messing up and not going to class and getting bad grades. And my teachers were like, you need to work harder. And I was like, nope, I'm going to make comic books when I grow up. Wow. And, and, um, and there was a long circuitous journey to get to the, to get to this place. And I, and I sort of arrived where I'm at now, um, in my mid thirties, early forties, realizing that I, I wasn't, I hadn't done what I really wanted to do. And that if, um, you know, I was getting to a point where I realized there was more miles behind me than there was ahead of me. And, and I needed to, to at least give it a shot. And so that's sort of where I'm at now. It's like, okay, well, um, the, the, the one word of wisdom or advice that I would share is like, um, it's great when you finally get to live your childhood dreams, but then at some point you have to go, okay, but now what am I going to do? Right? <laughs> like it, yeah. it takes your whole life to get there. And then suddenly it's like, well, now I got to come up with another lifetime plan. So. Yeah. Yeah. And are you working on that now? I'm yeah, sure. yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, um, you know, right now it's just, it's, it's, it's just a weird time. Most, most days I just pretend I'm not me. I just, I, because otherwise I would have a complete freak out. <laughs> you know, the, 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 some of the meetings that I have and the conversations that I have and, and just go, okay, um, staying in Portland keeps me grounded. Um, and I spend a lot of time in LA in meetings there and, and that's, um, gets pretty surreal, but I stay with my cousin and sleep on his couch and his mm. dogs, mm. like... Keep it very real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they've got bad gas problems. So, um, so those are the sort of things. You find the little tricks that keep you grounded in your... <laughs> your uh, in, in, in just in reality, and that's it. But yeah, no, I, I, I think about that a lot. I think about, um, you know, what would, what would the little kid in me say, or what would I say to the little kid if I could go back? And, and I would just, the one thing I'd say is like, 
never, never stop being patient. I was, I was, I'm always, I'm a very impatient person, but I'm not so impatient that I quit things. And, and you kind of have to just stick with it because it, it never happens when you want it to. It happens usually three days after you've decided to quit. <laughs> right. Yeah. And Donna, how about, how about the, the, a younger Donna? What, what would she be like? I'm listening to your story. I'm like, wow, such focus. <laughs> How's that happen? As I meditated before I came here. Like, no, trust me. Um, my younger self would not have put me here because my younger self was always dreaming. So, and, and when I say that, it's like I never really ever had a destination. You know, I always am wrapped in story. Like I was always chasing stories. Comic books, love them. So we definitely need to talk because we could switch jobs if you want. Okay. <laughs> uh, I tried getting a job at Vice like in the <laughs> late 90s, early 2000s. So maybe, hey, you know. They've just caught up to you. Yeah. So it's good. Yeah. Um, but I think for me, because I love, I'm, I'm always interested in what's, whoever is in front of me or whatever is in front of me. Mm -hmm. And I find the story if I don't know what it is. So I think it's my, I, I think of myself, I guess, and my younger self also, I thought of myself as a seeker. Like I'm always like looking for something or not looking for, but looking to or looking from or look, just, I want to know. I want to know everything. I want to know everything. I want to try everything. I want to do everything. And none of that is actually really possible, but you can try to make it possible. And so I think it was helpful because my mother was a teacher, or yeah, she's retired, but she was a teacher. So I could read at four. I love books. And so there are so many worlds in a book. And so if you're that young reading about all the different worlds, it just represents all the different possibilities. The other thing you'll grow to know about me is that I'm really clumsy. <laughs> <laughs> All the time, honestly. These are our, our TED Talk so, uh, microphones. But, <laughs> yeah, so I think for me it wasn't, I'm, not su I'm, I'm surprised by where I am and I'm not surprised by where I am, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Because once I figure out where I want to go, I work really hard to get there. So, um, but it's always guided by a dream or a wish or... Just the story, like mm -hmm. Vice is about chasing stories. That's kind of how I ended up at Vice. That's what they do. They tell stories, right? Yeah, I, that story, going back to that, Donna just hit the nail on the head. It's like my whole life has part of one of the driving things sometimes to my detriment has been there's going to be a good story in this. And, 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 and there's always a story. Sometimes it's not the best story. Sometimes there's heartbreak and pain involved. But then how do you spin it into something entertaining? I take my misery and, and give people something that they can be entertained by. And, and, but everybody has a story. That's one of the things I teach my students is that if you don't, they, people always say, oh, I don't, there's nothing interesting about me. I'm like, nope, that's not true. It's you just haven't found the right adjectives to string together in front of the nouns and the right adverbs to put in front of the verbs to make that story interesting. But everybody has an interesting story. I totally agree with that. Every, if you spend enough time with someone, you will find out what their story is. You will be interested. They will in turn be interested in you. And then there you go. Yeah, that's great advice. Yeah. Uh, what, what is it about like where you are now? Like, um, well, I, I imagine for you, you're, you're still 
seeking, you're still constantly curious. Like, what keeps you stoked today? Like, more of that drive to learn and know and experience? If it were up to me, I would be an astronaut, like, tomorrow. (laughs) 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 Like, space, if I could go to space tomorrow, I would go. You know, so. Elon on the phone. Uh. <laughs> like it really is one of my dreams. Like if I could make it to space sometime before I leave this planet, like, you know, die, um, I would go to space just because, I'm, I mean, it's space, right? <laughs> <laughs> what else is there? I don't think I answered your question because I got off on a tangent, but. Um. I love tangents. That's all this is. Strung to together tangents. That's, that's life is a bunch of tangents that hopefully make sense or partially make sense along the way. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. A lot of people, at least young people, like I, I know, I, and I can speak about this because my nieces, I'm really quite close with them. Um, and they're super performing and super awesome and A students and all the stuff that you want your kids to be, right? Mm-hmm. But they want life to make sense. And they're frustrated by the fact that, you know, life doesn't make sense all of the time. And the piece of advice I would give anybody, particularly young ones growing up, it doesn't have, if the more sense it makes, the more mistakes will result from that. Mm-hmm. Because that means that you're not doing whatever it is that you want to do. You're trying to be, you're trying to fit yourself into the paradigm of what someone has told you made sense. And if you do that, you're not going to get to do what you want. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing makes sense. I, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, like, I get out of bed every morning, and I'm like, okay, what nonsense is going to come at me today? Because that's it. it. It ain't nothing but nonsense. Um, and you just, you, just, you just sort of roll with it. But, yeah, I think that with, especially now, you know, again, not to sound like the grumpy old man, but I am. Um, you know, we, we, in this era of, um, of immediacy, uh, patience is, is completely lost. And, um, you know, I was, I started, I, there was a time when I was trying to make films and when I wrote my first screenplay and was trying to make a movie, you, you only had two options. You could shoot it on 35 millimeter or 16 millimeter. If you were trying to make a traditional narrative film, those are the only two options. Now I guarantee you every person in this room has, has a device in their pocket or their purse that you could shoot a movie with. Sure. And, um, but if I had had those tools when I was 20 or 21 years old, if I had had a smartphone, I, I, I don't necessarily know I would have made a, a, a good movie. I would have been, I would have had the immediacy of the moment and been able to do things, but I wouldn't have learned a lot of the lessons that I've learned. And one of the big lessons I've learned is patience. Um, I, I keep coming back to that because um, I never fully understood how patient I really was until... Well, really within the last, I'll say, five to ten years. Um, and, and, that was, and part of that was because I, I hit an age where all of my friends from my 20s had all given up on their dreams. And, you know, you hit around somewhere late 30s, early 40s, and, it's, and you're, you're going out for dinner with all your friends, but you're really not going out with all of them because most of them can't get babysitters and they have to be up early the next morning to go to work and all that sort of stuff. And you're by yourself or with like people that are 15 years younger than you and they're kind of annoying because they're so young. And, um, <laughs> and, and you realize that like, oh, I just, I didn't give up. 
And, and that's the weirdest feeling when it's, it's like, um, it, it's when all of your friends who were in bands, the bands break up because they all got married and had kids. And then you have to go out and meet new people that are like much younger in bands that like are never as good as they were when you were younger. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. and so <laughs> it's just it. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's such a weird dynamic. But because um, I never would have thought of myself as a patient person until, again, like within the last five, ten years. That's yeah. crazy. I agree. Yeah. With particularly the dinner and the band thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember talking. I like this is talk about a tangent. I remember there we were at a club, me and my friends going to see um, a band. We were like in our early 20s. And I, I was the one who said, yeah, do you think we'll, we'll still be doing this in our 40s? And they were all like, yeah, yeah. And then I remember seeing the exact same band like 20 years later and none of my friends were there because none of them <laughs> yeah. could get babysitters. And I was just like, wow, I, I was the one who thought I, I wouldn't have stuck it out. And it wasn't like I made a conscious decision. It was just like, yeah, this is just my life. You know, I love, I love going. T- I don't like staying up really late anymore. So it's like I'll check to see her. I, I prefer to see the opening bands now. <laughs> and, and most of the bands that I love have become opening bands because they're all old, too. And uh, well, we take awesome. naps. We take naps before <laughs> yeah, the show. Lots of naps. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. That's funny. Well, uh, you guys you hit on this earlier, too, that, that this podcast is, is all about experiences. Like, I love uh, nothing more than uh, talking to people who are, like, you're on the front lines of, of making something uh, that didn't exist before it was... You you know you were in front of it, um, and and coming up uh, with with um, you know I think that can be a, a pretty scary spot to be in sometimes. I think it's certainly difficult, but it, it's like a drug for a lot of people. Like a lot of us, you know, we're, you know, if we're have after having graduated from our twenties and thirties and forties and maybe looking at uh, beyond. Uh, <laughs> uh, that resiliency. There's something about staying with with the creative world. Um, and so I, I love talking to people about all these different journeys. And you know, here, here are, here are two, two of those journeys right in, in front of us. And, um, and I wanted to push in more on, on these individual journeys. Um, I think as a creative person, we have these, uh, the, you're, there's always, you're always overcoming some kind of challenge. Like with a creative brief, there's some marketing challenge or whatever. But then I, I think, as a creative person, you uh, personally speaking, you have a lot of um, what I would call self-imposed sort of limitations. We have our own fears, we have our own insecurities, um, and self-doubt is always something that is fun to deal with. Uh, that doesn't, none, and none of these go away, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, or maybe they do. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Um, but I, but I think, but there's, it seems to me like of all the creative people I've, I've talked to or know there, it, I, it feels like the good ones will always say, oh shit. Yeah, no, this is, <laughs> I'm riddled with all those still to this day. So there's, there are these self-imposed limitations that are, seem kind of universal. I think there's this whole other set of, um, I would, I would call them limitations or, or potential limitations that are even more treacherous that aren't self-imposed. You know, they're the ones that are imposed from someone else or somewhere else on the outside. And those, I think, for purposes of this conversation and listeners out there, we'll hear our train happening shortly. Uh, 
Love the timing of that. <laughs> this is one of those outside limitations that we have. Hey, no speaking over. of limitations, it's an audio limitation or a uh, concentration limitation. <laughs> but, but I would love to talk about uh, your journeys, if it's okay, around, around things like that, around issues of, of diversity, equity, inclusion that you guys have run into. You, you guys have both, like I said, those stacked resumes. Now you've had a lot of different journeys and run into a lot of situations where maybe that has reared its head or is still rearing its head. And I wanted to talk about that, if we could, for a, a couple minutes. Um, because I think as a society, at least in the States, I think we're this year or this little pod of years we're in seems to be like we're as a society starting to scratch the surface of some issues that have been buried for decades or Centuries. hundreds of years. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and it's getting really interesting right now. And I, that, that's good and bad, but it's getting interesting. And what, what are you seeing f from your point of view in these things? Um, I don't know if I have a, a specific question yet. I'm <laughs> speaking of tangents. <laughs> um, That's kind of a big question, actually, mm -hmm. because if the question is, have I been limited by external forces that I have that I have no control over because of like the racial or racial inequality, gender inequality? Um, there's, I'm sure there's another inequality, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So the answer to that is yes. Um, and have I experienced it in some form or fashion throughout my entire career? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, and I could give instances, I guess. And I don't know how important those instances or, or occurrences are, because they, they are still happening, right? Um, but I think what's important is how I've learned to respond to them. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and also acknowledge that, they're there, that, they're, that, that they were there. Because when I came up, I had a, fam you know, I had a really cool family, and I still have an awesome family. Um, and they always told me, you have to be better than, better than, better than, better than, better than. Yeah. Were you in that oh, yeah. better yeah, than yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, and I, wasn't, I didn't understand what that meant mm -hmm. until, like, you get into school and you're like, well, what does better than men mean other than the obvious get good grades, right? Or, or you get into a workplace and you know that you're better than, or at least you think that you're better than some, some, something else that has happened in front of you, but you can't articulate why it's not happening for you. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm always, I'm spurred by, if you tell me I can't do something, I am going to absolutely do it. So all you have to do is tell me no, and then we're on. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that, for me, it's like I, I don't want anybody to tell me no. Now, sometimes, absolutely, people should tell me no. But, <laughs> <laughs> but no spurs me, and it also makes me reach back and, and pull somebody else with me. Mm. You know, so mm -hmm. it's... So yeah, I've been, you know, I've been mistaken for the runner when it was actually my I I was producing and it's my shoot and <laughs> someone asked oh, me wow. when we I'm the runner. I was like, "Oh, why am I the runner?" Oh, okay. <laughs> well, actually this is my shoot. So can we start? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I've had that situation happen or I'm 
the woman in the room and it's my idea and like, oh, can you go get us some water? Sure. And I go get water Mm -hmm. and I bring it back and they're like, oh, I was like, yeah, okay, we can start. You know, so it's those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And and I think those kind of things are interesting too, because like no one has ever asked me to go get the water. Right. And so, and I think if somebody did, I'd be like, you're kidding. Right. Like, are your feet broken? (laughs) You know? So, um, but then there's, there's other limitations too. And, and, but again, like how I was sort of raised was like, okay, so there's limitations. So what, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to, you know, um, and, and it's, and it's interesting too, because, um, you know, like I, I think about my grandparents and, and I was fortunate enough to be raised in a very large extended family, uh, like as blue collar as blue collar can get. And, um, but also instilled with a sense of, of family history, right? And, and so it's like, I know as difficult as my life has been, it wasn't nearly as difficult as my grandparents or my great-grandparents right. or my great-great-grandparents. And, um, and, and like hard work, I come from a family where like falling asleep at the dinner table is like normal. And, and like, okay. And, and the one thing I knew was that I didn't want to do what my grandfather did. My grandfather, uh, well, I should, let me rephrase that. My grandfather owned his own business. I always wanted to own my own business in some capacity, but my grandfather, and I don't think there's anything wrong with this, he had his own janitorial services company. So he cleaned up other people's garbage. He, he, was, he did both commercial and residential um, household services and, and custodial work. And there was times where I would go with him to work or one of my uncles, and I would see what they had to do, right? And at a very young age, I was like, I don't ever want to have to do this, mm-hmm. but I do want to be the boss. And, and so it was, this, it was this weird mix. Like, like, I literally watched my uncle clean up shit one time, like literally at, at, at um, one, of my, one of the accounts that my grandfather had was at a bank, and my uncle had to go in. And for what, why my uncle was babysitting me, I have no idea. Like, that's the biggest mistake in the world, right? But somebody had, like, just smeared feces all over the, the, the restroom in this bank. And my uncle was screaming, and he told me, he's, get in here. I want you to see this. And I went in, and, like, I'm seven years old, shocked by what I've seen. And then I watched my uncle clean it up. And I, and I remember thinking at that age, it was like, I'm, I don't ever want to have to do this. It's like, my uncle's doing this. My grandfather had to do this. Like, they're doing this. I was able to understand that they're doing this so I don't have to do this. And, and my cousin and I, we both now, we have a, um, a development company. He's down in Hollywood. And, and we talk about that all the time. We're like, we, you know, because we, we would go to work with our grandfather and we would clean up stuff like this, you know, in, into our teens. And, and, um, and so there was, there was never a loss of an appreciation for that really hard work. And, and, and so when I'm like, you know, complaining, oh man, Marvel Comics wants me to change something in this comic. And I remember it's like, well, you're, you're not cleaning septic tanks, which I had another uncle and a cousin. That's what they did. They cleaned septic tanks and, you know, mm-hmm. that's it. Uh, I mean, there have to have been so many times, I know there have been for me, even without some, some of the, the issues that you guys have been faced with, where you just want to just say enough, screw this and just chuck it and get out of there. Like, 
I mean, haven't there or have there been? <laughs> or, are you talking about just in life, in our in professional? Mostly, yeah, professional, yeah. In a professional setting, like you, you're in a career, you're doing a job or something that you, you, you love or you're, you're invested in it, yet there's some stuff going on. I, you know, I find it really, I, I, I now have a rule. Mm-hmm. I do not work any place or with anybody I don't respect or I like. I just don't do it. Um, I just don't. And it's been that way for a really long time because I found in my career at one point that I was really unhappy because I felt like I was hitting the wall and not doing, and, and, but I couldn't quite articulate why. Mm-hmm. And so I quit because, you know, quitting was like the scary thing. But once you quit the first time and realize that you'll be okay, it's easier then to go into the next job or to or to wait actually mm. to wait for the thing that you really want to do because you know you're going to be okay I mean that's I think it took me a long time to figure out what being grown up meant um because my brother still and I'm older than he is is still like when are you going to grow up um <laughs> and make grown-up decisions and all this other stuff which means settle down um but all grown-up is to me is being willing to take responsibility for the choice that you made and just owning it. I mean, like, okay, so you don't like your job? Is it so you can do two things? You can either quit the job that you don't like or change yourself because maybe it's not the job. Maybe it's the way you view the job or maybe you're not coming to work in a way that serves others. Because I think, and this is just my own opinion, obviously, um, I think a lot of us are too wrapped up in what it is that we can do for ourselves and, and how we're going to progress ourselves and do this. And when you come into it with like, not, I mean, what can I do for others? Or how can I, how can I just show up and be positive today? It goes a long way. It goes a really long way. Yeah, I, I agree that, I mean, it's, it's interesting because I'm, I'm also, I'm at this point in, in my career where one of the questions I ask myself is like, okay, well, what are you doing to, change this industry so that when you're gone, there's, there's more, uh, more opportunities for other people. So that, you know, right now, if I go into a meeting, an editorial meeting at, at just about any of the publishers that I work for, I'm freelancing at all of them, but with the exception of one publisher that I can think of, the vast majority of my, I, I'll be the only person of color in the room, and there'll be almost no women in the room. Um, and if they are, they're, you know, they, they're literally the person that's like, oh, hey, you go get the coffee, please. You know, someone might say please to them. So I'm thinking to myself now, every day, it's like, okay, what can I do to change that reality? Because, because I'm in the room now. It's not just like my foot's in the door. It's not like I'm, I'm trying to break the door down. I'm, I'm in the room. I have a comfortable seat. There's a little name placard for me there, right? So it's like, um, you know, in, in, in the years ahead, my the next five year plan or the next ten year plan that I put together has to be about more than just me, and and that's a that's that weird you know when are you going to grow up sort of thing when you start to realize it's not just about me because if if I don't do all I can do, you know there was there was a lot of people that discouraged me along the way, and and it's like I don't ever want to be that person that discourages any young person, um, and and. You know, sometimes that discouragement is just saying, hey, you got to work really hard at this. And some people, if, if that's going to discourage you, 
and quit now. Just, right. you know, um, but, but there's so many, um, you know, I'm in a situation now where we're looking for very specific people to do very specific jobs and I'm not finding them. And, and it's, it's like, I know they're out there somewhere, but somewhere along the line, people have discouraged all of these types of people that I'm looking for, right? And it's like, I'm not going to give up till I find them because all it takes is finding one or two. And then, then after that, there'll be another two, there'll be another three. And, and before long, you've changed the world that you're living in. You, can't, you might not be able to change the entire world, but you can change the, the, the room that you're in. Mm-hmm. And by room, I mean the career or the, the company you're working for. You can change that. And, and if you can't change that, you can at least die trying, right? So that's it, you know? What, what, are, we do, what are we doing? Till we, we, we're here, we live, we die, and then we do something in between those two things, so. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned, David, uh, uh, that... that feeling of, you know, I'm in the room now, yeah. you know, you're claiming that spot. What, um, what was it like, um, before you felt that you were in the room or like, what, you know, what's, what's that, how did you navigate that spot? And then what made you flip over, you know? Well, I, you know, I, I was, um, when I got, whenever I would face rejection, I would just go off and, and figure out a way to do what I wanted to do on my own. And so I created my own little room. Right, I created my own little world, mm. my own little reality, until somebody came knocking on my door and saying, "Hey, I, I like the work that you're doing. Do you want to work for us?" Um, and and so for me, it was always about like, and even now, sometimes where I'll look at somebody and go, "Man, you know, how did they get that job? They they really suck." And then I'm like, "Ah, you know, who cares? It's like I, I don't I don't obsess over the jobs I don't get anymore. That's the big thing." Um, because I realize that the, the grass isn't greener, it's just a different shade of green. And, and um, you know, I'm working on a really big project right now that's the sort of project that uh, I would have killed to work on, right? And now that I'm working on it, I'm, I'd almost kill to not be working on it, you oh, know? Really? <laughs> it's, it's, be careful what you wish. Yeah, it's so stressful, and, and it's like, I'll get through the other side, but, but I never, re- I, I didn't, in my imagining what it would be like to do a project like this, I never thought, oh, it would be this stressful. It would, you know, that I would, I would get physically ill from it and that, you know, I, I, it, would, it would shut me down for, for nearly a month of just being sick. Um, and, but you bounce back and, and you just go, okay, yeah, no, I, like I, I, I recognize my own hard work. And this is very important. I don't know if you've done this. I, I've surrounded myself with, and, and this took me a long time to get there, where I've surrounded myself with people that will remind me when I need to be reminded. And it's, you know, sometimes you've got those friends or, or family members that just love everything you do, and, and you, you, you got to take what they say with a grain of salt, right? But then you've got that, those other people that are like, oh, yeah, no, A, B, and C was great. X, Y, and Z was terrible. You need to work on that. But, you know, um, and, and I've, I've been really fortunate, especially the last, like, 10 years, that I've surrounded myself with a network of people that will be honest with me and, and they know when to be, how to be gently honest and they also know when they need to be brutally honest. And, you know, the brutal honesty sometimes hurts, but it's, you know that it's coming from a loving place because of who it's coming from. And then you sit and you go, okay, well, maybe I could have, you know, conjugated this verb better, right. you know, yeah. so. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In agreement. I'm in agreement with that. Um, Donna, where, uh, where do you go for like your, your confidence? Like, um, that's so funny that you asked me, my niece sent yeah. me a text today and she asked, I don't have my phone, but she asked me about confidence. Oh, well, look at and that. she, and she, she said where, in fact, the text was something like, where do you, where do you get your confidence? Oh. And I was like, <laughs> Where do I get my confidence or does, where does anyone get their confidence? And like, what are we talking about? And she said, where do you get your confidence? And this is while I was sitting in the airport. And I thought about that and I was like, well, at a very practical level, my confidence comes from being more afraid of not doing the thing that I want to do than doing the thing that I want to do. And then, so... That's the first half of it. And then the other half of it would be um, just experience, right? You know, like as you grow and do different things, you feel more confident, you know, as you, as you fail and succeed or fail more, mm -hmm. you become more confident about what you can and cannot do. Like uh, you just, you, you, asked, you asked David if he, um, how he felt about being in the room. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, quite honestly, I can, I sit in rooms today and still am perplexed about being in the room. <laughs> you know, like it doesn't just because you've made it to one place in your life. doesn't mean that you are super confident about being there and that you feel like you belong there 100%, at least not for me. Um, I would agree, except I do know when I belong there more than that idiot over there, right? Well, yeah. So that's the well, well yes, <laughs> yeah. but I'm, but I'm yes, absolutely. There are there is context, um, but but there. I mean, but you know, sometimes you or me. I'm talking specifically about me. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I walk into a room and I'm just like, how? Who are all these people? Oh, right, I'm one of them. How, okay, right, okay. Great. How did that happen? Yay. You know, <laughs> I mean, like sometimes I'm surprised and, and, and I'm just being honest. And sometimes I'm not. Mm -hmm. I just think it, it's a it's preparation, right? Mm -hmm. Like um, I'm, a, I pr I'm always prepared or at least I try to be, but I'm not as um, I, I approach it in different ways. Mm -hmm. Because what I've noticed that the people when I really start taking stock of what's happening in those rooms that people want to get into, I realize that it's a lot of people that have their own opinions about whatever is going on. And if you just sit and really listen and watch what unfolds in front of you, you realize that actually that person doesn't know as much as I do, or they know more than I do about this, or they're actually uncomfortable too if you look at body language and they're just spitballing because everybody is just in the room trying to make something happen. And once you realize that you're really all in it, to, you might not be together in it, but you're in a room trying to make something happen, it's a lot easier to be in the room. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. Sometimes it's a little, yeah, you find yourself kind of, um, you wake up and you're like, oh, how did I, how did I get here? How did I, oh, yeah. and then I guess maybe I should be because I am here. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, my confidence waxes and wanes. I mean, there's, mm -hmm. I am as neurotic and insecure and full of self-doubt as anybody. But the key is, is also there's that other side of me that's the life lessons where if, if you know, if somebody came to me and said, hey, we need you to write a hundred thousand, a novel that's a hundred thousand words and you've got six months to do it, 
I, I know that I could do it in three because I've done it, right? Mm -hmm. And so the key thing is, would it be an easy three months? No, but could I do it? Yes. And, and the trap that I fall into is, um, is knowing that in a, in a tight spot, I can get work done like, you know, really fast if I have to. But I don't want to do that anymore. I'd like to go at a nice, at a, at a more casual pace. Um, as I'm writing that book, I'll be full of self-doubt, and I'll be like, "Oh, you really can't do this, man. You bit off more than you could chew. This, you, this is it. This is the one you, you blew it. This is. They're gonna find out that you're a fake and a phony, <laughs> and it doesn't matter that you've written all these other things because, because like whatever you like, something happened. You ate some magic." mushrooms or something and it was all perfect but no this but is the it. dream ends here yeah. Yeah. and 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 but that's that's part of the journey every single time that's that's the self-doubt phase it's the uh i always i talk about it if you're if you're driving from portland down to la right that's the somewhere between say roseburg and <laughs> and wairica is where you're like yeah, I don't know if this is a good idea. Right? <laughs> like, I should have flown. But then you hit Reading, and you're like, well, I'm in Reading, and I'm more than halfway there, so keep going. And then you get, you know, south of Reading, you get past Sacramento, and you're like, yeah, I got this now. I know it. And right, so that's that. It, it, it's that that phase. There's always that that moment of self doubt. There's that, you know, it, it's. It's, it's just recognizing, yeah, I can get through this. Okay, you went through this before. And I, I, I tell my friends, I tell my friends and family, remind me this, you know. Like, <laughs> and, and, and my mom's the best. She's like, she just kind of rolls her eyes. Like, Mom, I don't think I can do this. She's like, oh, shut up. You know, <laughs> you said this a month ago. And, and no, but this time is different. Yeah, you said that two months ago. So, um, but it's, it, I think learning from your lessons, the, the, you talked about failure, and, and I use that word a lot, but I also, when I'm talking to my students, I never use that. My students always talk about, oh, I failed. I'm like, no, it, you're, it's only failure if you did not learn from it. And, and, and so I become very Yoda-like. Um, <laughs> I, I do academic advising, and I was just meeting with, with one of my students uh, last week, and I was like, okay, so... What have we learned from this? Let's let's learn, take this as a learning experience, you know. Mm -hmm. And then th there's that part of me that's like, like, wow, what what happened to you? You know, <laughs> yeah. like trying to sound smart and and soothing to people, but um, but yeah, there's I I I don't think about them as mis I try not I try not to think about them as mistakes or failures anymore. Yeah, I I try to think about them as lessons learned, and 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 that's. Um, cause those are a lot easier to live with than mm -hmm. the, Oh man, that one failure I had in from age 20 to 35, it was one big <laughs> failure. You know, it's like, can't do that. Yeah. You'll go nuts. Yeah. So. Donna, what, what has been one of the coolest, uh, learnings that you've ever had or, or it could be a, or a, most, or a project you're most proud of. Um, last a year ago, actually, like, my life changed, I don't know, I'm in constant flux of change. It's just because I'm always, I don't know why. Um, but I was in L.A., and and I'm always skirting around directing. I direct some stuff here and a little bit there, and then I go off and do something else and then say, I'm going to really get back to it, really, really. 
Um, and this production company came to me and they signed me and they were like, hey, we want you to direct. And I was like, finally, I'm really going to do it and I'm going to do it properly and blah, 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 blah. Cut to like four or five months later and we're still talking about what I should direct and what I shouldn't direct. And, you know, it became kind of, I, I realized, I, what I, re I realized two things. They would ask my opinion, I would give it to them. And then they would give me a different opinion back hmm. and as if it were mine. And then they would ask me to introduce them to people that I knew. And I was like, and it took me four or five months because I'm super trusting to realize that what they really wanted was for me to give them my Rolodex, which I didn't even realize I had one properly. <laughs> um, but really, it took me a while to figure it out because... I don't know, you know, like they wanted my Rolodex and then they wanted me to go direct something that they thought was going to be the next sort of way in for them. And mm. I was like, but in, while all of this was happening, things happen all the time. Like serendipitous things happen all the time. And I just think if you're in the motion of one thing, something else happens. And, um, I got a call from a woman I hadn't spoken to for like 15 years and she was like, I hear you're directing. And I was like, okay, great. <laughs> and she was like, will you direct this thing? You know, will you, do, will you do a motion poem? And I was like, absolutely, I'll do it. I went to the production company. I was like, I found the thing. We should do this thing. And they were like, yes, let's do it. And then, of course, it ground to a halt. And then I said, you know what? I've been trying to explain to you guys what I need to direct in order to be able to get actual work for you and me and this company. And what you're asking me to do is not going to be fruitful. It just isn't. Um, so let's just be friends. <laughs> I'm going to walk away. And they were like, you can't do that. The, they were like, you can't make that film that you're talking about. And I was like, yeah, okay, let's go see. And, and because, but it, re, but it clicked in my mind. They wanted my Rolodex. And I was like, oh, well, I can just use my own Rolodex, actually. And then I didn't even really have to do that. All I had to do was use the knowledge that I had acquired over the years. And I pulled my own thing together and I went and directed the film that I wanted to. And I had an amazing time and it was fun. And I loved it because it was my own expression of what I wanted to do at that time. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I got a call from an actual brand who said, hey, do you want to do this stuff for us? And you can do whatever you want to do. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm really most proud of that. I mean, of course, a year later, I'm like, oh, my God, I could have done this and I should have done that. And it's not that amazing. And, you know, all the <laughs> self-doubt. But it gave me the confidence to realize that if there's something I really want, I can make it happen. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. David, how about you? Like any things stand out to you? Like the, the coolest bit of learning or project or... There's, you know, there's a, t it seems like right now there's like a ton of things flashing through my head. Um, one of the things is, is, um, it's, it's, there's two parts to it. One is, is is, is starting to recognize opportunity and opportunity presents itself a lot of times in ways that we don't expect it to. So it's about pain being hypervigilant to what, what pops up, right? I never thought I'd be teaching and, and like really teaching. I've taught before, but I never thought I'd be like at, at, at a university teaching regularly. Um, but in, in one week, three people said, hey, you know, have you ever thought about teaching? 
And, and but two of those three were asking like, hey, do you want to do this starting in like a month and a half? Um, but it was like, even though all, when all three asked, I was like, you know, part of me was like, I don't see myself teaching. But I was like, three people have now asked in, in, <laughs> in a week's time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I don't believe in much in terms of hire or whatever, but I was like, someone's telling me you should try teaching, right? Mm-hmm. So I did it. Um, and, and so that is, it's about recognizing opportunity that presents itself in a way that is different than what we want it to be, right? Um, the other thing is learning how to say no to some of these opportunities that present themselves when it's either not the right time or going back to teaching, I've now cut back on teaching because it was getting in the way. But I said, you're going to give it a year. I gave it a year. I actually gave it two years. And a little after a little over two years, I was like, okay, I know I can do this now, but I need to focus on some other things. Because a lot of times as we're exploring other opportunities, we do we lose sight of where we're going. It's going back to the road trip analogy um, first rule of road trips for me is if I can't see it from the freeway, I ain't going there. It's like, <laughs> if I, if I don't, if I can't see the gas station, if I can't see the McDonald's, I don't care what it is. If it's not visible from the freeway, I am not stopping because it means I'm going to get, I'm going to get too far off, off the beaten track. Um, and so, uh, you know, recently I've said no to, to some projects even though I'm sort of in a lull right now, I've got regular work, but I don't have as much as I would like to have. Um, I've said no to projects simply because they, they're not what I need to be doing right now. Right. I could do them and I could make money, but I would be taking up time that I need to explore mm-hmm. other things. Yeah. So it's about recognizing opportunity, but also listening to that gut. Because sometimes, you know, you're, especially if you're freelancing or whatever, where someone offers you a gig and you're like, yo, I just need this loot right now. <laughs> and so you say yes, and then six months later or a year later, you're like, this was so not worth it. Right. This was like, like money is great, but your sanity and well-being is a little bit better. And so, yeah. Cool. I wanted to also, uh, t- I meant to say this earlier that, you know, we're, I'm happy to take questions. Hopefully we'll have some answers up here. Uh, if, if there's anybody um, out in the audience who has questions, like to ask either Donna or David anything in particular, throw them up and I can, I'll hand you the mic. We'll do it that way, right, Eric? <laughs> okay. Yes. Here. I can move. <laughs> Here we go. It's you know, the funny thing is, is like you're all grown folks, right? But you're still doing that like eighth grade thing. Any questions? I'm like, no, I don't have a question. I don't want to. <laughs> you all have questions, and I guarantee you, half of them are the exact same question. So thank you for asking. Probably. Okay, so I am 29 years old. I haven't broken in yet, and I've gotten to like the front door of like different interviews and kind of running into like that same problem, whether it's an internal hire or like I don't match the skill set directly, but it's, it always seems like I'm missing something. They give me the idea that I'm missing something, but I have to remind myself that I already have it all right here. It's just this one person saying yes or no. And once I get in the, in the door and I learn something from whoever hires me, 
Like, you're going to be so happy that I'm with you, but I'm, I'm not there yet. So I have to, months go by words, I'm not there yet, I'm not there yet. Doubt, remind myself that I'm good, have a, have a good six months of mental clarity and strength and everything's good, but then another job interview doesn't go my way and then I go through that cycle again. So how would I break past that even though the, I've experienced the same thing over and over and over again? Can I ask another, before I can answer that question, what is it that you are trying to do? I'm trying to... I want to be, first of all, creative. I want to be a producer. I want to be able to implement ideas, whether it's in music, video, clothing or anything. I feel like I'm a facilitator of great ideas at the right time to be implemented. Whether and I I do illustrating and I make music. I do I do everything and I just I can't pick one thing as the one thing that's going to be like this is it. I'm going to sit on Photoshop for 24 hours to do this okay, thing. Well, I'm not doing that. Well, okay, so let's just Let's just talk about your answer right there for one second. So I ask you, what do you want to do? And it took you 10 or 15 seconds to try to figure out what you wanted to do. So if you're in front of somebody who's interviewing you and they say, so, hey, what do you want to do? You should know, like, particularly if you're sitting in front of somebody that's interviewing you for a particular position. That's the first thing. Um, The second thing is. You may be able to do a lot of things, and I'm sure that you can do a lot of things, but if you have already not indicated exactly what you want to do, and then you say, well, I can do anything, what that telegraphs is, here's a person who does have abilities to do maybe quite a few things, but there's somebody else over here who's like desperate to do the thing that you're not sure you want to do, if that makes sense. Like desperate, like I can, I will do, I mean, like if you wanted to be a producer, if you want to be a producer, you should say, I want to be a producer and not I want to be a producer of music and film and TV and art direction. If you're in an advertising agency, you want to be a producer of what they produce. If you're in a, you know, and then what plays to your skill set? What are you good at? Like, what are you really good at that you enjoy doing that you want to produce? Because if you start there, you'll be able to answer those questions and the person sitting across from you will see it and feel it, and they'll want to help you get in the door. Particularly if you say, I, if, you get, if you give me a chance, I promise you I will deliver blah, 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 blah. But you need to be able to fill in the blah, 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 blah in a knowledgeable way. Yeah, I, I agree 100%, and I, uh, maybe even 110%. I think that also the, the thing is, is that... Um, you, you can do stuff yourself. You can create your own stuff. You can, you can produce your own things. And, and in the process, you begin to figure out some of the things that... Because I can do anything, right? I mean, like, I could, I could pilot the space shuttle, and I could perform brain surgery. All I would need is a 15-minute tutorial on any of those things, right? <laughs> and so when it comes to, like, the creation of stuff, like, I, I know how to edit... I can edit on, on Final Cut Pro. I can edit, edit on Premiere Pro. I can edit on pretty much any nonlinear editing system. 
but I'm not a particularly good editor, okay? And so if I went into a job and, and, and said, you know, hey, I can do anything, I can kind of edit, so, but what does that mean? I, but the way I found out that I don't want to be an editor was I learned how to edit. The reason I learned how to edit was because I wanted to be a director, and I realized that the best directors, most of them started out editing their own stuff, okay? I don't know how to, I'm not a good photographer, but I know enough about, I, I've experiment, experimented a lot with, with all sorts of things. You begin to do that, you begin to create your own work, you begin to put it out there, and at some point, like I wanted to be, when I realized that I wanted to be a writer, first and foremost, and, and that's not even really what I want to be. What I really am is a storyteller. But when I decided I want to be a writer, I could not get any work at all. And this is a long time ago. This is back before this thing called the Internet. And, and I, was, you know, I would send out letters and faxes and try to get stuff at different publications. No one would hire me. So what did I do? I started my own publication, which was, this was just at the beginning of desktop publishing and you know, I went out and got some software and taught myself how to do that. And I learned all these things. So everything that I love to do I, I, and everything that I hate to do, I've done it firsthand. And, and it got to a point where most of the jobs that I've been offered were offered to me by people who were familiar with the work that I'd done on my own. And, and, I, and I tried, you know, I, I went on interviews and I never got jobs for the longest time. And even now, it's, it's still difficult for me to get jobs, in part just because I'm kind of unpleasant, but, not, <laughs> not, but, but that's just it. Um, but the key thing is, 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 if someone's not giving you the opportunities, you create your own opportunities. And, and you begin to learn, you know, again, so it, it's like, I, I go back to editing, because I wish I was a better editor in terms of film, but I also don't have the time or the inclination to get better. So clearly it's not that important to me. And, and now there was a time when you know, I was trying to break into tele or film mostly, and I've done some film work, I've directed and produced, and I've done all kinds of low budget stuff most people have never heard of, right? Well, now it's like, I can get a meeting just about anywhere, right? Uh, but I don't want to do that stuff that much. You know, it's like I, I just had a meeting down in L.A. two weeks ago, and they were like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I want to make a lot of money, you know, but it's like, but I don't want to produce, and, and, but I have a producing partner, and, and he goes with me to every meeting, and I'm like, well, this is my producing partner, and, and the reason I have a producing partner is because what I've learned over the years is I don't have the temperament to be a producer where there's a lot of money involved. And, and where someone's going to be trying to put their hands all over my creativity. So I've got this person here for. Would I like to direct? Sure. But then it's like I go into meetings and I'm like, well, I've got this one project, but I don't want anything over $5 million. And they're like, well, what do you mean? You don't want anything over $5 million. And I say, because I know over $5 million, you're going to have too many opinions. You're going to want to change too much. So unless you're just willing to give me like 3.5 and just shut up and leave me alone, I don't want anything. <laughs> and, and that's the thing. Like, like we have a, my company has a project in development. It's like a $20 million film. And every meeting we have, they say to us, and, and these are big people in Hollywood, they're like, yeah, this isn't a $20 million movie. This is like a $100 million movie. And we're like, no, it's not. You're saying it's a $100 million movie because you don't want us making it. You like the idea, but you don't want us because we haven't proven ourselves 
beyond, as a, as a company, we haven't proven ourselves beyond the 35 to 40 million, which is why we're asking for 20 to 25. But all this is stuff that you learn over the course of time. And so the thing is, is if someone's not giving you the work, create the work yourself. That's it. There's, there's nobody, I mean, and it took me a long time to get there. I was, I was right around your age, a little bit younger before I was like, I'm just going to start, start my own magazine. I'm going to start making, instead of trying to make feature films, I'm going to do shorts instead of trying to do, you know, and this is back when I was telling somebody this the other day, my, the first documentary I ever made, we shot on a camera that I had to rent for $250 a week. You know, I must have rented that thing for about 10 weeks. Like now, how many cameras can you buy with it? 250 times 10? Who's good at math? I'm terrible at that. But, but how many, you know, of the, well, LG's got that new smartphone that like you can shoot like amazing footage with that for what, seven, 800 bucks, right? Do that. Just create your own stuff. Get it out there. Build a following. Brand yourself. Make, instead of going to them and going, hey, give me a job, create your own jobs. And then in time, people will start coming to you. I think that's great advice. I really, really do. But. I know, there's a but coming, yeah, yeah, right? I can, I can hear it. <laughs> no, no, I'm thinking, because I'm, I'm thinking for, for, for where he is right now, yeah. right? He's 29. He's been, he's mentally, you know, so like, I want to help you right now. So, what, I mean, you know. Yeah, I'm still like creating and doing all that, like, the stuff that you guys are suggesting it's like i've like written published articles and like have amazing paintings and all that kind of stuff but say like i'm applying for like an entry level like communications like whatever for <laughs> one of these companies but it's like when i go into those interviews it's like i'm interviewing for this specific job and it's like it's obvious it's not this is what I want to do. Like, I want to like be the facilitator of information for this, this branch, but that's what they need to hear. It's, it's not, I want to take your job because I have better ideas than you. <laughs> Cause that's not going to roll over well. Never and then does. when, but when the company like takes your idea and you see it broadcasted back to you, I'm like, Hey, that's the idea that I, that I gave you guys in my interview, but I didn't get the job. Okay. So what do you want to do though? So, because, like, if you, okay, if you have to have a job, let's just say you have to have a job, right? Because that's, we all have to work. What job would be good for you? Your assistant. <laughs> well played. I do need an assistant. <laughs> you said you asked for a hybrid, so. <laughs> okay, we can talk. We can talk after this. The, the, the. And I appreciate your, your butt. And I didn't mean that that way, but the <laughs> butt, you know what I mean, right? So, um, because I sometimes get, I get super passionate about the DIY thing and doing it yourself. And it, it's, for some people, it doesn't work that way. Um, but like, like I'm, back, I'm, I'm back to where I was when I was like 25, 26. I'm, I'm doing all the stuff that I'm just like, I'm just throwing stuff out there. I started my, my, a web comic just like three weeks ago. And, and why? Because it was like, yeah, I just need to do this right now. Like, I, I have the, the biggest book of my careers might come out in January, but it might not because the artist that, that Random House hired to, is totally flaking. 
And so the, the thing that's going to get me over may not happen, and it's driving me insane, and I, I don't sleep at night. And I was like, well, what could I do to get me by right now? And, 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 but the thing was that I said was, I don't need to get paid to do it. I just need to be creative for the sake of being creative. And the thing that I, I think that is very important is that like, if, you're, if you have a creative spark inside of you, like, you have to nurture that flame. And, and money is not the most important thing to nurture that. Sometimes that's the thing that extinguishes the flame. You have to be creative no matter what. This is, and again, this is my, my feeling, right? And so, man, I've had the crappiest jobs you could possibly imagine. I, you know, there was a time when I was on the, you know, every temp agency in town, and I would do, like, the, the Gardenburger. I don't even know if they're still here anymore, but Gardenburger used to be right down the street. And, uh, hey, come on in. Join us. We're having a podcast. Um, uh, but I, I worked at the Gardenburger processing plant, graveyard shift. I'll tell you, I would never put a garden burger in my mouth again. But, <laughs> but I was doing that while doing my creative stuff. Like I, I, and I did that well into my 30s. You know, the holding down like the, 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 that, that grind thing to put the money in my pocket just so I could be creative. Because to me, it was like, you know, being creative is the most important thing. And even at the age that I'm at now, I, I fell into the trap. I fell into the money trap of like, oh, well, I got to get paid to do this. And, and sometimes the work dries up and it's not necessarily a reflection of you. It's just circumstances. And then it's like, well, what happens when the work dries up? Am I going to stop being creative? Am I going to, is, is my, is, is the very essence of who I am validated by a paycheck? And like, it, it can't be. And that's, that's the, that's for me, that was, that was a really hard lesson to learn. And that's just been over the last like 18 months or so where it was just like, oh, damn, you know, but you know, you're asking the questions. That's, that's the most important thing. And, and just keep doing it. Keep hustling. Just, you know, hustle out of the trunk of your car. That's what I do. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. That's awesome. Anyone else? Anyone else? Oh, and oh, uh, let me go to the back first, then back to you. All right. So related to a couple questions that Andy asked earlier, um, in your career, whether it was for a job interview or something at work where you're having to defend an idea, something creative, have there been any, is there feedback here? Uh, any sort of like barriers you experienced, either race or age at a certain type or your gender where you had to do something or respond in a certain way where you learned something that could be like advice to someone else, like, hey, here's a, here's a tip, here's how to, to pivot the situation to kind of you know, minimize that or get through that. I think that's an important important thing to talk about and to learn from. What's the question? Sorry, <laughs> little 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 open-ended, but it could be a situation that you're in, whether it's a job interview or something at a at a job you've had where you had to defend an idea and you and you felt something because of your your gender or oh. race, where you felt there was some sort of barrier and some sort of adverse situation that you had to respond in a certain way. Well, I don't respond. I. If, if you know your idea, like if you know your idea, if someone, if, if they say something that just isn't right, your response is the right response. 
Does that make sense? Like, I, there's no point in, like, um, I had a, a guy worked for me for once, once, and his name is Neil, and he's amazing right now. He's great. But he would get really upset if someone challenged him because he was like, it's because I'm a black guy, a black man, a black English guy, because this is when I was in uh, Europe. And I was like, what? I was like, well, what was the question? And he was like, they wouldn't have asked anybody else. I was like, yeah, they would. But it's the fact that you responded in this way that makes it into something that it wasn't. So if someone asks you a question, even if it is, even if it is like a, a slight or whatever, if you can answer the question, the most effective way to answer or pivot any situation is to know what you're talking about. Seriously. And if you don't know, all you have to do is say, you know what? I well, most people don't say, I don't know. I say, I don't know. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but most people say, let me get back to you on that. Or if someone says something blatantly wrong, just say, well, really? How do you figure? Or how does that work? And, and make them explain it to you, because a lot of times they can't. <laughs> the, um, <clears throat> Kenny Rogers said it better than me. <laughs> you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, know when to run. Um, you know, sometimes you get in these situations where you know, yeah, I'm not going to win this battle. I'm not going to win it today. Um, and so there's, there, you know, do I want to throw that first punch? And I don't mean that literally. I mean that figuratively. Um, I just had a conversation with somebody over the weekend where there's a company I was working for. I'm not going to name the company. I'm not going to name the person. But I was having problems with this company. Again, it was as a freelancer. I left. And a lot of other people within that company were like, well, why did you leave? And I said, well, I had problems with somebody. And, and at the time, I wasn't 100% sure who it was. I'd narrowed it down to three or four people, right? And, and I was like, it might be this guy who's kind of racist. It might be this guy who's kind of whatever. Or it just might be this guy who's a total jackass, right? And, and it turns out it was the guy who was a total jackass. And... He's kind of racist too, but that's irrelevant in my, in my mind. It was like because he was more of a jackass than anything else. And literally for the last year and a half, I've been trying to figure out, was it this one person? And it wasn't until just Saturday, this past Saturday, I was having a conversation with somebody who also works in the industry, who had the exact same dealing with this, this one person who said some of the exact same things to him. And I was like, it's this person. And this is what it is. And here's the thing. This person's in a position of power that, like, I can't do anything about it. So what do I do? I choose not to work with him. I choose not to work under him. I choose not to deal with him. Well, now I've just got a job where I'm working <laughs> with that company again. And it's like, okay, the one thing I'm armed with now is I know for a fact this is the person who made my life miserable he did it through other people because that's sometimes what upper management does. They delegate and, and they deflect. They get other people to throw you under the bus. But the thing is, is like now I know. And, and, and the thing is, I know the thing that I said that offended him, why he didn't, because it was personal. It was all personal. 
Now I know what it is. And it's like, okay, well, the worst that's going to happen is I get shut out and I don't get work from this, this person again. And the reality is, is like, I wouldn't want to work with a person that they're going to pull that sort of crap again. So I, I, when I was offered a job by this company a few months back, I was like, yeah, some things are going to have to change. And they, were, they said, what? And then I was like, well, I'll get back to you. Because I was still figuring it out, doing my old digging around. But the key is, is like, there's always going to be people that you disagree with or they don't like you for some strange reason. You know, I mean, I have a problem with, with people named John Morgan. I do. Because in kindergarten, I got into a fist fight with a kid named John Morgan. And, <laughs> and like that name is like, so I had a student named John Morgan not that long ago. And I was like, oh, John Morgan. <laughs> you know, you could be Jim Morgan or you could be, you know, John Moran and it won't be a problem. But, you know, but I, I try to push all that aside and, and move forward. But always recognize there's going to be someone who doesn't, not everyone's going to agree with you. Not everyone's going to think you're a genius. And, and the key is, is just like, you know, how do you, you know, you can't take stuff totally personally, right? Like if somebody's a racist, right? Like, well, they're, they're racist, period, you know? It's like, now the key is, is do you have a problem with me? If you got a problem with me, then we can talk about this. But if you're a racist, forget about it. Like, I'm, I, I actually had somebody ask me a question about racism. It was someone who was essentially a boss. And, and my response was this. I don't have enough time to give you a history lesson of America. If you don't know this answer, there's nothing I can do for you. You're on your own. And, and, but that's, see, again, that's part of being staring down the barrel at 50 where you just don't care anymore. <laughs> and, and you might not be there, but, I, but I will, I'll tell people, I'll be like, you're an idiot. And, and, and if I don't get work again, because I always get a job cleaning septic tanks. Can I, I want to say one, one quick thing to that thing, just one little, a lot of times I found out that find most of the issues that people have that you think are, most of them, most pe- issues that people have are their own issues, you know, and we, and we take them on, right? Because we believe for whatever reason or whatever the situation is that it must be me or I did this or the situation is, and if once you understand that most of the issues that people have are their own issues, you can just sort of be like, oh, I'm glad I'm not him, or I'm glad I'm not her, or maybe they're just having a bad day today. It just, we can choose how we react in situations. We can't choose, we can't control anybody else, but you can control how you react in a situation. Mm. You said uh, it way better. That was so uh, <laughs> clear and concise. That's why you're in advertising. <laughs> <laughs> One more. This question is for Donna. Um, you made the comment, which impressed me, that you won't work for anybody that doesn't inspire you or that, you know, you don't feel... You said that, correct? <laughs> yeah, that I don't like or respect. You don't or, like, right. Or, I'm or curious... Not I'm, nice, yeah. <laughs> I'm curious how many times you've come to that realization in your career and maybe explain one situation and where you went after you made that decision to walk. Oof. Early days, like I, I've done it probably realistically. Um, when I was really first starting out, I was probably about 20-something, 20, 
young. I was working with this Italian director who was super rude. Um, and he just was yelling and blah, 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 blah. And I spent all day listening to him complain about everything. And I realized he was not, ev that's just who he was. And he was just really not nice at all to me. And so when he finally got out of my car um, at the end of the day, he was like, and I will see you tomorrow morning. I was like, you won't see me tomorrow morning. Um, you know, thank you for this experience, but I not, I'm no longer available. And that was when I was really young, but I didn't understand what I was doing then because I was angry, right? But now that I've had enough time in my career, I've, I've probably done that twice. And, um, and one of those times, I was just like, look, I really don't think that you have my best interest at heart. I mean, I thought we were in a partnership. I see that that's not what is happening here, and it's cool because I took, I, I took ownership of my part in it, right? Because nobody can make you stay someplace or nobody can treat you a way that you don't let them, right? They just can't if you don't let them. Um, and once I understood that, I was like, oh, okay, well, yeah. I may not have it. Every time I've left someplace, every single time I've left someplace that wasn't working for me, something better came. It didn't come right away but something better and a new opportunity came. And that's why, I, that's why I can say it, because I've done it enough time to know that I'm going to be okay. Nice. Yes, read. <laughs> Please speak into the microphone. All right, I'll see if I can handle it. All right, so for this podcast, have a nice idea. You guys are getting kind of a taste of it. What, what, would, you, what, would, what would be interesting? What would you like to hear in future episodes? What issues would you like us to tackle? Um, <clears throat> I'm at a point in my life where I really am fascinated with the things that I'm most afraid of and the things that, that terrify me that I don't want to do. And then when I end up doing them, I find they were really good for me. And so it's about the things that frighten us the most and and I can I can think of a couple times in my life where I was like I can't do this like I was so terrified and then doing it actually was the best thing that I could possibly do and so you know I have a friend who always says you know you want to be careful because somewhere out there there's that person that will get you to do that thing you said you would never do and so you don't want that person who's like, hey, I need you to bring over a bone saw and some acid because we got to get rid of this body, right? Or I want you to drive the getaway car. But then there's those other things. And, and I think specifically I was, I was um, doing a storytelling workshop for kids in, in grief counseling. Uh, for the, they had uh, lost somebody. And, and one of the kids in the program was autistic. And, and we got we get these kids' files and we read about them. And um, this particular, she was 14 and she was almost completely nonverbal. And the thought of working with her terrified me, right? Because, and I don't know why, I can't tell you why, because now I've become great friends with her. I've become friends with her family. And, and as, a, as a teacher and as a human being, working with this kid was easily one of the greatest things I've ever done in my life. Like, I, I, look at the, I look back on the fact that I was afraid to work with her 
for whatever reason, and it was, it was that word autism, autistic, terrified me. Now I feel like an idiot, you know? And so it's like, what is that? I, I would love people to get up and talk about the things that they're afraid of the most. And, and because most of us run towards the things that don't strike fear into our hearts, right? And, and we, most of us do not become better people by chasing after the, the things that bring us great comfort. Like fear and adversity is where, the, is where we become our best, I think. Oh, that's outstanding. I love it that. It is. Idea. It is great. I'd like to do that too. It'd be a nice exploration. I, can I, I think I would like the notion of creativity itself, like in the advertising, marketing space, promotions, all that media, basically, there are labels of who's creative and who's not creative. And I, everybody, every single person is creative. And I think it would be cool to have, um, to, to do a podcast on, on not what is creative, but like the people who are not seen as creative. I mean, like I, I've been labeled a creative because that's the industry I'm in, mm. but that's not why I'm a creative. I mean, then, and that's not why I'm creative. So, and I had to, and I wasn't a creative at first. I had to prove to the industry that I was a creative, mm-hmm. as opposed to like good ideas come from every, every place all the time from, from just life, just life. And I think it'd be cool to have, have a nice idea and have those ideas talk to people who are not labeled creative mm-hmm. and have them talk about their creative process and, and how they get through their day and, and how they're inspired by creativity. That's an awesome idea. Thank, those are both great suggestions that uh, may be appearing very soon on Have a Nice <laughs> Idea. <laughs> Because uh, that's one of the beauties of this is that I never quite know where it's gonna go or necessarily end. Um, but um, I wanna, I, I, I love what you just offered there. So, are there any other questions? Oh, yes, there is. Okay, perfect. Here you go, sir. Hi. Um, I came a little late, so I didn't get to hear all of it. But I'm not sure if you touched on this or not. But um, what I really admire about the two of you is it seems like you really stand by your ideas, um, even if that potentially might mean, you know, a a cost sort of thing that might happen. Can you, you know, there's the old phrase, you know, principles and a principle till it costs you money. Can you talk to a time that you've really been so into an idea or a principle that you've been in that you've walked away from it with a potential loss of money and or income and sort of what you learn from that, be it about yourself and just kind of your perspective industries in general? You can go first. You want me to go first? <laughs> um, so I worked in, I worked in film uh, late 80s, early 90s. Wrote my first screenplay. Was I would do anything to be on a film set. Um, and I do mean anything. Like if it was illegal, I would do it. If, if they were like, if somebody on set was like, hey, can you go get drugs? I wouldn't do the drugs, but I'd go get the drugs, right? Got a bone saw? <clears throat> yeah, I, I never got a bone saw, but um, I did once have an actor say, would you be willing to kill my ex-wife for money? And I said no. So I did draw the line with that. Um, but I was working on a film, and uh, I, it was low-budget garbage film, but the, the production company had gotten... Um, They'd gotten to like me, and 
they'd offered me a job on the next film they were doing as, as not the assistant director, but the director's assistant, which at the time I couldn't have been more than 24. It would have been the perfect job for me. Um, and the second to last day of shooting, I got into a beef with the head of the transportation department where he accused me of something that I didn't do. And even at 24, I knew that this guy was a total racist. And what he accused me of, I didn't do. Uh, and the producer and the line producer and everybody came to me and said, you know, what's going on? And da 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 da. And, and I was like, I've been working with you guys for two months. You know, I, I would never have done what this guy accused me of. And there's some back and forth. And then they said, well, you know, you're going to have to apologize to him because he's threatening to pull the entire transportation crew if you don't apologize and we still have a day left of shooting and all this stuff. And, and if you don't apologize, it's going to screw everything up. And, um, but if you make it right, you're going to have this job with this company. And I said, fuck you guys. And I didn't work in another film again in this town ever. Um, and, and because... The, the, the transpo guy, the Teamsters, they were all local. So they all knew me. They knew about the beef, and it was done. And, but I survived, right? Like, what's the worst that could happen? I didn't get the job. I didn't get to go to Hong Kong on the next film they did and all this other stuff. And, and I ended up with a crappy job as a delivery driver. But I survived, and I didn't have to. There, there's one thing I'm never going to do is I'm never going to apologize for something that I didn't do. And I'm especially not going to apologize to someone who's clearly a racist, who lied about me, right? This was 1993, so we're talking 25 years ago. No regrets. There was times where I was dead broke, but that was it. It's like there's, there's, there comes a point where it's like, again, the money and the principles, it's like, what are you going to compromise? We, we all have a, a box, and that box, inside that box is, is our integrity. And the moment you take out that last piece of integrity it's never going to self-replicate. It's empty. It's gone, right? So it's like, you got to make sure, like, keep that one piece of integrity in there, okay? Because it will grow. It's like, you know, a fungus on your foot or something. But, <laughs> but the moment you take it out, it's gone. And, and, and you have, it's up to each of us to decide what that, what that thing is that we're not willing to do. And, and the interesting thing is, is, I think the older we get, the longer that list should get the longer that list should be where it's like, because we become more aware of stuff and we see things and where it's like, you know, there, there's things that, that I never would have thought of a million years ago where it's like, okay, wait a sec, what's, how come, why, is, why, is there, why are there no people of color in, in this room right now? You know, this, where I, and, I, and I will be the one to say that. And sometimes people are like, hey, that's really not a good question to ask. And it's like, well, if you don't think it's a good question to ask, maybe I shouldn't be here. And, and again, I, like, I don't care. I've just hit that age where I am. I'm that grumpy old man. I'm like my grandfather. My grandfather, just like he just so didn't give a shit about anything. And I'm just like, okay. I, I, I don't know if any of you read that Quincy Jones interview recently. Did you read that one? It was like, just like, read it. It's great. Like, it? QD3 or Quincy? Quincy, Quincy yeah. yeah. And it's like, because he's, what, 90 or something now. And he's like, yeah, I know who killed Kennedy. You know, and it's like, <laughs> and it's like he is the grumpiest old man. And I'm like, I, I read that interview. I was like, this is where I want to be. I want to be this fearless. So that's my answer. I think you're already fearless. 
Ah, and you're not that surprised. grumpy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you're living in New York. You're surrounded by the grump. Um, yeah, I, I don't. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Um, so, the, yeah, I'm sorry. Like, the question was, have I ever been in a situation where I've kind of walked away for way and from money or left stuff on the table? I mean... I think it's more about have you ever had to face a decision that remained based on what your values are. And, and, and your answer was pretty by the way. That's exactly what I was like trying to get. Is that have you ever faced sort of a turning point in your life where you had to go against something that might have gone against who you are and you were so tried and true to who you are you, you might have left a really great career opportunity on the table or um, money on the table or something like that where, you know. Well, I mean, I think it, not in the same way that David just explained, but sort of in the example that I gave before when I was working at a company and I thought it was I, I, I won't I won't compromise myself. I just, I won't. Um, because at the end of the day, you only have yourself to hold account, to hold, you know, to be accountable to, really. You have to live with yourself, so. Can I, I, I have to, because I, I just thought of this, because I was saying the, the, the list gets longer. And I was like, can I come up with an example? This is a true story. This is less than a month ago. I was in a meeting in LA, and it was a dinner meeting. Some of you may have been in these. I'm sure you've been in where it's like, because I don't drink. No, I don't either. And so you, but you learn a lot when you go on those (laughs) business meetings where there's cocktails involved. So my business partner and I were in the meeting with some other producers. And this one guy said, he had a couple too many drinks. And he goes, man, I just can't wait for this me too thing to be over because God, I feel like I got a target on my back. And, um, and, and I just looked at my business partner across the table. We didn't say a word, right? And we, you know, we didn't do the, oh, yeah, I feel you. We're just like, mm-hmm. And then we, we left the meeting, and, and my partner was like, dude, no. And I was like, you had to say no? Like, like I thought that look between us, right? And it's interesting because, like, there's, like, two, three years ago, a lot of us men, especially, weren't thinking about these things, right? Now, I've, uh, have I, like, I honestly, in eighth grade, I snapped a girl's bra strap, right? Like, I think that, and I made the comment about Donna's butt, but it wasn't really her butt. <laughs> but like, that's the extent of my bad behavior, right? But I never really thought about other people's bad behavior much, especially men and how they treat women, and. But now I'm thinking about it all the time. And, and it's, it's like, oh, this guy said this thing. And, and immediately I was like, okay, you know, like even if you're joking that way, like that's not like, you don't know me well enough to make a joke like that. And so those are the sort of things that grow. And, and as we grow and we, and we, and we you don't necessarily, our, our moral compass, it, it should point us in the right direction, but we also should be open to the possibilities of like, you know, I mean, there was, when I was in high school, we never talked about queer rights or LBGTQ rights. Like, that was just like, you know what we did? We made fun of people. And, and like, if I could go back to the younger me, I'd be like, don't do that. I don't do that now. But I think a lot of it is about, like, yeah, okay, wait a sec. What's it going to say? Like, because sometimes, you know, it's, it's all about, the, sometimes it's about the silence. It's about if, if you don't say anything, then you're culpable. And, and I would rather, again, 
be that guy. And, and I got an email from the guy who said that me too thing. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't think we need to do business. Like your money is, is, is just not quite the right shade of green for me. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, I think this this has been a really wonderful discussion. Great panel. Can't thank you guys enough. Donna, David, I love it. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you everybody for coming and listening and uh, participating with us. I I I think uh, a final word, and I, I've heard it like throughout uh, the discussion this the, this afternoon, this evening, is that. Creativity and ideas are these are really it's a mysterious thing, right? It's really hard to turn it on and off like a switch, even though some of us are in the business of having to do that. Um, and I think the the best we can do is to really create the conditions that are making for the right environment where creativity and ideas can happen. And I think that's a um, a challenge for a lot of people. A lot of uh, people groups, businesses, etc. cetera. Uh, but I think that's, that's what we are all here to do. And I hope, kind of, I put out a challenge to everybody in the room, everybody uh, listening, that uh, to, you know, diversify ourselves and look at our, our, ourselves in the mirror and, and act with an integrity and, and honor and respect. And um, I think those are, that's the way that we can really get uh, the conditions right for our ideas to really thrive. So... Thanks to all for coming. Thank, Thank you for you. being here and talking with us. And that's it for another episode of Have a Nice Idea. If you liked it, share it with a friend, follow us on the usual socials, or email us at go at haveaniceidea.com. Meanwhile, we'll be working on more stories from cool people we can all learn from. I want to thank Digital One for making this recording possible. Check them out at D-I-G-O-N-E dot com. And thanks also to Grady Britain Advertising, gradybritain.com. Thanks for listening. Now get out there and have a nice idea yourself. <laughs>